Yeah. First of all, yeah. Okay. Um, tonight's shear is sponsored by the Goldstein family for the yard side of, of Noach Weinberg Zatzal, Israel Noach ben Harav Yitzchak Matisio, and the Alta Zayda Morris Ward, Avramosha ben Shmuel. And with gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the Yeshua's he has given us. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless all of Klal Yisrael with Yeshua's. Uh, I once met, actually, Reb Noach Weinberg in Norfolk, Virginia, 23 years ago, 22 years ago. And uh, at that time I was learning, I was a Magichir, but I was learning Yeridea, and I asked him a very difficult shach, in, uh, in the middle of uh, Taruvas. And I opened up the Shulchan Aruch and I showed him the Shach and he started to cry. And he's not like an emotional person, if you know. So, so I didn't understand what's going on. I mean, the Shach was talking about that if you had a Chatichas Orla that was mixed with Tam of Isser, it was like, it wasn't an emotional Shach, you know, it was a little year there. So he said, I have not seen this shach in 45 years. My whole life I dedicated to be Makar of Yidin. And I feel now how much Torah I have lost. And he began to cry. That's the story. That's what I met with Noach Weinberg. I'm not sure what to learn from the story. But that's what I met. That a person felt that he had lost something so precious to him that was a chaluk of Torah that he began to cry. That was my impressions of Rav Noach Weinberg. Okay. We're going to learn a little bit today about the Indian of the Mon. And the idea of the Mon, essentially, is that it says, they came to a place called Elima, v'sham shteim esrei ayonus mayim. There were 72, there were 12, I'm sorry, there were 12 wellsprings of water, v'shivim tmarim, and 70 date palms, v'yachan usham alamayim. And it says, v'yosum me'elom, v'yokol adasisol mitbasin, asher ben elom, ben sinah, v'chamishas ayoyim l'choydish hasheni, l'tzaisam eretz mitzrayim, they traveled, and they came, and over here the Jewish people complained that they had no more food. And what happens as a reaction to that is it says in the Pasuk, I'm going to do, what does the word mamtir mean? What is motar? Right? The question I will ask you is that you can't say rain down on something that is not rain. Right? If you have mon coming down from the sky, that's not called rain. So why did you use the word mantir? The Pasuk should have said, The word mantir doesn't fit. 
Because it did not rain. Rain, the word matar, means rain, means geshem. It doesn't mean something else. should have said, Asholech lechem. And the Ramban, the Chizkuni, and other Rishonim all asked this question. Why did he use the word mamtir? So the first thing that we have to ask, we have to answer, is why does, in, when it comes to mon, we use the word mamtir? Okay. The second question is from the Chida. The Chida quotes the Gemara and Tainis. The Gemara and Tainis brings a list of different types of miracles that happened over there. He says, one second, is the mon a natural thing or a miraculous? Is it miraculous or is it natural? What is it? It's miraculous. It's also for somebody to live from a miracle. A person is not allowed to support himself from things that are supernatural. But for 40 years, the Jewish people supported themselves with something that was, that was miraculous. How could that be? How is that possible? There's a very nice story about Rebchanina ben Doisa. Rebchanina ben Doisa, it says that his daughter came and there was no shaman, there was no oil. She made a mistake and she went ahead and she lit vinegar instead of oil. Right? So she came crying to her father. So the Rebchanina ben Doisa says, Misha Omar, L'shemen sheyadlik, Omar l'choymet sheyadlik. If you're careful with reading the Gemara, what happened? She lit the vinegar, and what happened with the vinegar? It burnt. The vinegar worked. So why was she crying? The vinegar worked. It says that it's, it was burning. It's not that it went out. It's not that she went back and she relit the nair. What she was worried about is that it was a miracle. She didn't want... She started to cry because it says a person's nana bin anais is menakin lomishchiyosav. It takes away from your schusim. So she started to cry because Hashem had made a miracle. What's going to happen? So what's the response? Reb Hanina ben Daisa's response was, don't worry. Even though a miracle happened, in this case, Misha'am alachoyim etsuyadlik, yoimar l'shem and shayadlik. How does that help? What was the conversation between the daughter of Reb Hanina ben Daisa and... And Ribchanina. The conversation was, I went and I lit the vinegar. Boom. Hashem made a miracle. Now, I am going to suffer for it. And Ribchanina said, no. Whoever, made, whoever allowed the oil to, to, to light will allow the vinegar to light. What does that mean? How did he respond to her? <clears throat> the next idea that I want to share is really similar to a certain extent. But let's, let's talk about the idea of man for a second. <clears throat> and I think that we have to understand the following thing. The, um, the Rechaim HaKadosh explains that we all know when it came to the man no matter how much effort a person put in, when he came home, everybody had the amount that was needed or maybe the same amount. So the Rechaim HaKadosh says something that's very interesting. The Rechaim says that we know that if somebody was a tzaddik, he wouldn't have to go out and collect the man. The man 
landed up on his doorstep. If somebody was less of a tzaddik, he would have to go out 50 feet. If somebody is less of a tzaddik, he would have to go out 1,000 feet. If somebody was less of a tzaddik, he would have to go to Lakewood to make panasa. Okay? You have to go to all kinds of difficult places to make panasa. Right? Right? That was for Rabbi Carmel. What was that? Okay. So the thing is, a person would have to go out further and further. Says the Arachai Makadish, how, how did that happen? It says because the Jewish people complained they didn't have what to eat. If they wouldn't have complained, everybody would have been a Bechin of a Tzaddik and they would not have had to do any Ishtadlis. They would have had the ability to get everything on their doorstep. The reason why there was a different level of Ishtadlis was because they complained. That's what the Arachayim HaKadosh explains. What does that mean? It says from Reb Moshe, Moshe Feinstein says, what was the greatest chesed, what was the greatest miracle that Hashem did for the Jews? It says that whatever piece of clothing, clothing that they had, that piece of clothing they wore for the entire 40 years. It grew with them. It never, it never became worn out. It was washed on their bodies. It was always fresh and clean. Says Ramosha, it's the only miracle. The man, it stopped. Well, they had problems with the man. With, when it came to, they asked for slav, all kinds of different things. When it came to the water, the water also stopped. What was one miracle that never stopped? Was the miracle of the clothing. And the reason why is because they didn't complain to get it. They didn't, have, they didn't complain to get it. Yes. Well, they, they never said anything about their clothing. And because of that, that miracle was something that was the nicest, most beautiful miracle that they had. Because they never complained about it. That's what Ramosha Feinstein explains. More than that, there's a very, the Rebbe Rebzusha says that when you look at the idea of Shemitah, the seventh year of Shemitah, it says you're going to come and say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? And the answer is, Hashem will command that you should have enough food. Says the Rebbe Rebzusha, what does Hashem have to command? Hashem made a commandment to say that you're not allowed to work in the seventh year. Why does he have to command that you should have food? Says the Rebbe Rebzusha, the reason why is because you asked, what am I going to eat? If you wouldn't have asked, if you had had betochen and Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch wouldn't have to command it. The world would naturally provide for you. It wouldn't have to be something different. The idea over here from the Chida is the Chida question was, how were the Nizaynim for Manais? And the answer is, is that we have a misconception when it comes to Parnassa. What is the natural order of the world? The natural order of the world is Hashem provides us whatever we need without Ishtadlis. That's how the world was supposed to be. The way that Kal Yisrael had Parnassa is that Hashem gave them Mon Min HaShamayim. That's not miraculous. That's natural. Because Klal Yisrael lost their betochen, they lost their relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there is something in the world that became distorted. Now you have to go ahead and do Ishtadlis. So there's no miracle in getting what you need to your doorstep. That's natural. That's how 
It says the story from the Rebbe Reb Zusha. Rebbe Reb Zusha was hungry. He was starving. So he thanked Hashem. It's brought down the Bnei Sasra. It's not just Stamma's story. It's brought down in the safe of Bnei Sasra. Bnei Sasra says the Rebbe Reb Zusha was starving. And he said, thank you, Rabbi Nishalaylam, for the feeling of hunger. I want to thank you for the feeling of hunger. So it said one tooth became milk and the other tooth became honey and it ran inside his mouth. That's what it says. What's the idea? The idea essentially is that we have a misconception of the world. So much so, the Choyva Salavava says, why do we have to work so hard? Why does a person have to work? A person says, oh, if I don't work, I won't have Parnassah. And says the Choyva Salavava, that's not true. Panasa comes because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives it to you. Why do you work? Because if you don't work, you can't perfect yourself as a person. The reason why you go to work is because that annoying person and because you have to work on yourself. How do we perfect ourselves as individuals? Through our work life. Everything that a person has to go through throughout his day has nothing to do with money. Money comes from man min hashamayim. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us that we have to be mishtadl. We have to put effort. Why? Because every interaction that you have throughout the day is an opportunity for, for midas, for, for perfecting oneself. The idea of building yourself in emunah and betachan, building yourself in midas, not becoming angry, not being menabal per, all the things being yosher in business, that is the purpose of business. The purpose of, of working and struggling for Panasa is, is to become a safer Musa. That is its purpose. What about money? What about Panasa? That comes Mon Minashamai. That comes directly from Hashem. That is what's natural in the world. So a person will say, You see, it's not true. This person did that, and so on and so forth. I want to tell you something from the Chavis Alavavis. Chavis Alavavis says, that if somebody says, you see this person, he's a billionaire. You know why he's a billionaire? Because he's very smart. Chavis says, that's kfira. That's kfira. And the truth of the matter is, I lived in Los Angeles, I knew very wealthy people, and they weren't very smart. Yeah? They weren't very intelligent. And the Eibishter gave them a lot of money. You know, there's a famous uh, story. This guy comes, they have like a reunion. 50 years after, and the, the stupidest guy in the whole sheer, you know, the whole thing, he comes to the reunion. He shows up, private helicopter comes in, he has a security detail. So they asked him, you know, uh, they asked him, Shmerel, how did you make all the money? So he says, I don't know, I buy something for a dollar and I sell it for $2. It's 50% profit, but you know what? It makes me panasa. Yeah? But that, that's the thing, okay? But that's the thing, that's the way the world works. So, so ultimately, the idea is the following thing. When a person complains about money, he's taking his money away. When a person starts to be worried about money, he's causing himself damage. I want to tell you a beautiful story from the Talzer of Shashiva. Rabbi Yosef Bloch. Yosef Bloch had a, a granddaughter. And the granddaughter was crying and crying and crying for a pair of shoes. And the parents were talking to her, negotiating. Yosef Bloch says, you're crying? 
immediately go to your room. Immediately. You have to go to sleep right now. Very strict punishment. She goes to her room, she's crying, she's broken. After she goes to her room, Rabbi Yosef Bloch turns to his son or daughter. Now you have to go get her the shoes. Tomorrow morning when she wakes up, the shoes should be by her doorstep. What's the lesson? The lesson is, you might deserve the shoes. But to complain and to cry, that's unacceptable. That's the lesson he was trying to be mechanich, his daughter with. When it comes to our relationship with the Rabbi Re'olam, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give us the shoes. The crying, the struggle, the, the torture that a person has to go through, that is, that is not acceptable. That is something that is damaging to us. Every time a person gets up in the morning, he goes to davening, goes to work, you have an opportunity, it's like a mikvah, to perfect yourself, to become ever higher. That's the purpose of effort. That's the purpose of ishtadlis. If you notice, where does the story come from? They came to Elima, and the Pasuk tells us there were 12 springs and there were 70, there were 70 date palms. Why does the Pasuk tell us this? So it says from the, I saw from the Chizkuni, because Hashem wanted to show them, you came to the Midbar, there's nothing here, and I already provided for you everything that you need. Every shavit had a mayon, and every shavit was able to have a date palm. I already prepared for you everything that you need. You don't have to go out and get it. I've already, from the Bria Sa'olam, from the creation of the world, anything that you need, I've already provided for you. That's why it says they came to Elima and everything was already set. There's a Mayadika story, and I, and I checked it with an Alta Mirror over here, Rabbi Carmel. That's a true story. I want to tell you about somebody called Silas Hardun. That's not his real name. His real name was Salah Khardon. And he was born in Baghdad in 1831. And he came from an extremely poor family. And they moved from Baghdad to Mumbai. It's really Bombay, but that Mumbai is a new, uh, new name. So he, they moved. There was a very wealthy family called the Sassoon family. And they adopted this boy. The boy was so poor, his, fam- his family could not feed him. And they adopted this boy, Slahadon. And the Sassoon family was a very wealthy family. And he was a bright kid. And they took him into the business. And they sent him to China. And he became incredibly wealthy. And the more money he made, the more he left Yiddishkeit. He left completely Yiddishkeit. At one point, he was the wealthiest man in the world. He had $680 million dollars. In today's money, $15 billion. And he married a non-Jewish woman called Lao Zheiling. And they did not have any children. He adopted 12 children. He lived on a place, 26 acres. And it was a copy of the summer palace in Beijing, of the emperor of China. And this is where he lived. He lived in Shanghai. One night, he had a dream. He had a dream that his father appeared to him and his father was angry. 
And he told them, Salah, what have you done for Yiddishkeit? What have you done for the Torah? And in 1937, he went to the Jewish community that was almost non-existent in Shanghai. And he said, I want to build you a shul. And the shul was called Beit Aharon, after his father. And he built a massive shul, massive. It was incredibly large. But for six years, nobody used the shul. They didn't have a minion. There was nothing there. They used to use the kitchen as like a soup kitchen to feed the poor. In 1941, it was 1942 already, 1941, the Mir Yeshiva, it's the only yeshiva that was saved in its entirety from the Holocaust. The Mir Yeshiva came to Shanghai. And the Jewish community say, we have a place to keep you. And Reb Chatzke Levenstein, the Mashgiach in Mir, he walks into the building, and he looks at the building, and he calls over a bacher, and he tells them, count the seats. A shul that was never used. At all the seats, it was like pews, you know? Afterwards, they put in standards, but it was pews. The count the seats. There were 252 seats. That's the amount of bachrim that came from Mir Yeshiva to Shanghai. If you see a picture, every seat is full. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had already prepared a yeshiva, a place in Shanghai for the Miri Yeshiva. This Silas Hardun, he died, he left everything to his non-Jewish wife. And there was a tremendous machlok. Suddenly when, when he passed away, he had all kinds of relatives that he never heard of in his life. They had a huge court case. Unbelievable court, went for years. Then came the culture revolution. And nothing was left of Silas Adul. Not his money. He never had any children. There's only one schus that he had. Is that he built the Miri Yeshiva. He built the Miri Yeshiva in Shanghai. The lesson of the story is, is that the Eibishter has prepared for us exactly what we need, when we need it, at the very point that we need to have it. A person doesn't have to create, doesn't have to manufacture anything. That's the lesson over here. The last idea that I want to share is the following idea, and I mentioned this earlier. What was the purpose of giving the Eden Mon? So I mentioned from the Kada Kemach the following thing. The Kada Kemach says that in Maseches Yuma, the Torah was only given for those people who ate the man. What is man? So you could say that it purified them spiritually. It, was a, it wasn't a physical food. You could say all kinds of things. But the, the Kada Kemach says a beautiful pshat. He says, imagine you go to your house and there is no food in your house. There's only food for one day. And even if you try, you put it in the fridge, you put it in this, I, in my house, I have four fridges. Yeah? There's enough food for the zombie apocalypse. Right? I'm not a prepper. Promise. Yeah? Yeah? So there's a, there's a... But the idea, imagine to yourself, you only have food for one day. And you can't keep anything. What does that mean? 
that you have to have absolute betachen in Hashem. The Chayvah Salavava says, what does betachen give you? What does trust in Hashem give you? Number one, it gives you menucha sanefesh. Okay, so I have peace of mind. It is impossible for somebody to learn Torah if he doesn't have peace of mind. The key to growth in Torah is for somebody to have menucha sanefesh. Only through betachen can somebody could have the menucha sanefesh that he needs in order to, uh, to delve into Torah. The reason why Hashem gave man to the Jewish people was he wanted to teach them the lesson of betachen. And only then were they able to accept the Torah. What are we saying over here? If a person says, I am willing to dedicate myself to the Torah, you know what Hashem says? I will give you man and I will give you betachen. It could go in reverse as well. In the Midbar, they did not receive the Torah. First they had to have man, they had to develop betachen, and they could get the Torah. But if a person says, I am willing to give an hour of Torah study a day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I will provide for you. I will provide for you. And everybody according to his level, you can't make that judgment. For some people, extra 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Some people, 3 hours, 4 hours. Everybody is different. There is, no, there is no measure. But the idea is to grow in this. And what's the key? The key is menucha sanefesh. I want to say something. I don't know. Last week we spoke about uh, Yashon, and then we fed Treif to the whole Olam over here with the children. That's it. There's no more. Next week is only Yashon. No, Jeremy. Next week we're good? No, we're still bad? Well, well, did you not supposed to say that? You say yes. We're, gonna have yeah, yeah. we're we're having complications in the communication. Anyway, <laughs> but the the idea is essentially, if a person wants to grow in Torah, and this is true about children, adults, and everybody, it's impossible if you don't if you don't have menuchas nefesh. And what gives a person menuchas nefesh? Number one, betachen and Hashem. Having a relationship of trust. To feel secure. Same thing with children. If children come home, they're screaming in the house, or there's worry about parnasa, a child cannot grow into you. He doesn't have menuchas nefesh. A kid who plays Fortnite also doesn't have menuchas nefesh. Because his brain is, they created a machine that constantly serves dopamine into a person's brain. This is not, this is a fact. This is just an absolute fact. A person has no menucha. If a person wants his child to succeed in Torah, he allows his child to play Fortnite, it's impossible because he has no menucha sanefesh. His mind is constantly involved with things that are impossible. And the other thing is, is I say the following thing. I heard from Rabban Lapiansky. Rabban Lapiansky has a call in the Yeshiva of Greater Washington. Over there, you're not allowed to have a phone inside the Bismedrish. At all. Not on silent, nothing. You're not allowed to have a phone. So a younger man told him, you know, my wife, she's about to deliver a baby. I need to have a phone. So Rabban Lapiansky told him, you should go learn at home. Don't learn here. It's fine. You'll be, you'll be home. You'll still get your call check. But you can't be in the Bismedrish with a phone. I understand you. It's not, a, it's not a punishment. I understand you. The idea is the key. 
If you want to succeed in learning, I'm telling you to change your entire relationship to Torah, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's an hour, whatever it is, you have to learn how to learn with Menucha Sanefesh. If you're coming to Besmedrish and your mind is full, what's going to be with the business and with my kids and this, it's fantastic. What you're doing is amazing. But I want to give you a gift. The gift is Torah La'amito. Torah La'amito is only through Menucha Sanefesh. Try it. Everybody, try. Half an hour, no phone, and try to sink my mind in the knowledge of God himself. God's knowledge. God, there's no, the Balatanya writes, when a person thinks about, what are you learning now in Ksubis? What are you, what's the game now? You said stars. Stars. Oh, stars. That was the biggest, okay. Most difficult, uh, a person starts to think about the, the sugya of shtaris in Ksubis. The Baratanya says he is hugging God himself. He's embracing God himself. Because it is the knowledge of God. And there's no difference between Hashem and his knowledge. The Rambam writes in Hilchus Hu Hamada, Hu So the two elements. Live a life of trust in God. A relationship. Relationship takes time. But to begin the idea that I have a relationship with Hashem. He cares for me. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. That's number one. Number two. In order to grow in Torah, you must have Menucha Sanefesh. How does he have Menucha Sanefesh? Through Betachem. But also having a life where I'm able to immerse myself and not know anything else. Does anybody remember what day traders are? Yeah? Does anybody remember that? What a day trader was? <laughs> so I had a friend, he was a day trader. And he would, he would sit by the, the computer. From the moment the market began till the market closed, he would not move. He would not eat. He would not drink. I'm not going to tell you where he used the bathroom. He would not move. He would not move. This person, that's called sh- being Shakua. I'm not, I'm not, uh, <laughs> but that, he had nothing, that was his entire existence. He didn't answer any calls, he did not eat, did not drink, nothing. Because every, every moment it went up or down, you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, in the good old days, yeah? day trading. The idea is like this. A person can do that in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, I am dead to the world. I only have this with me. That's what it means. Hashem said, I gave you man. I took care of you. I gave you betochen. Why? Because I want to give you menuchas nefesh. Because that's the key to aliyah and Torah. To growth in Torah. Good Shabbos. I've been trading for 10 years. What? You just brought me back a little bit. Okay. I've been trading for 10 years. A day trade, yeah. It's, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore.